Bigger than cakes. Give me some more silence. Hello, welcome to Bigger Than Capes Roundup for October 22. Yeah, am I right? I think I'm right. I'm right. You are correct. In the month and year. Yay! Angela and Will joining me, Zach. Did I say I'm Zach? We have now. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember three sentences ago. It's no good asking me. Managed to make that into a really like... <laughs> nonsensical wrapped up within itself introduction it so strong as well yeah i was so I knew, I knew the name of the podcast so everything after that i guess is an accomplishment yeah it's a bonus. or not um in in lieu of not having much news or stuff should we just dive right into this one i think we should crack on yeah give mm. give the people what they want <laughs> um, hard. Hard. What they need. hard reviews Hard reviews. Reviews of hard things. So, you know, if if you're new here, basically we're just going to talk about four first issues from October, and I'm going to start with Image Comics's Comics's Dark Ride Number One, written by Josh Williamson or Joshua Williamson, as he's known here. <laughs> uh, the art is by Andre Bresson. The colorist is Adriano Lucas. And the letterer is Pat Brasso, is how I'm stating it this week. I'd I, I back that for <laughs> Works. sure. Works. Yeah. Good. I'm glad we're all on the same page. Mm-hmm. We're wrong. We're wrong together. It's yeah. all we can ever ask. So Dark Ride basically begins with the story of Arthur Dante, a theme park ride designer who is somewhat obsessed with horror and the occult and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, he, okay, so spoilers, I guess we, we have to, and it's not really a spoiler because this was like the previous a, pages that have been at the end of yeah. all the comics. It's also a first issue, like nothing major, yeah, nothing too major is going to get spoiled here. Um, so Arthur, in an argument with his wife over his failing ride the devil's due uh just just kills his wife as you do mm-hmm. um and then when he goes to bury her alive no not bury her alive bury her dead <laughs> the traditional kind of burial post-murder <laughs> yeah. yeah um her body kind of starts talking to him and making him all kinds of sweet promises about you know what he could have had because his life's over now because he just murdered someone um then miraculously we see that he um well he years later is the owner of a successful theme park by the name of devil land uh devil land is basically just a giant theme park which is very horror inspired and you know what looks pretty dope can't can't knock it um we then kind of transition from arthur's story to the story of owen season's killer name who has mm. basically just got the most low-level job working in this theme park. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's his first day, and he's super enthusiastic to be working in this theme park. 
Uh, from his point of view, we kind of get to know the theme park and the other members of staff were introduced to the security guards and the people watchers and the mascots. Uh, his like immediately in command supervisor person, mm-hmm. Kate, Katie. And we're also introduced to uh, Sam Hain and Halloween, who are the kids of Arthur Dante, who are both just coincidentally in the park today on Owen's first day. Um, it's quite a lot of information crammed in. It's it's an oversized issue. It's like 50-ish pages, maybe 48. Um, but uh, I think a lot is packed into this with the flashback and the introduction of a, a, fucking, a fucking massive list of characters. Mm. Um, we've written them all out in the chat, but it's kind of unclear how many are going to matter and how many are going to just be <laughs> names I've... I think Alistair the Cleaner, who is is the character that's going to be most essential out of the list I've made. I mean, um, absolutely, yeah. Not the um, conspiracy theorist uh, James Tiny and the Fourth. Stand in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm convinced that is a that's an homage. I feel like it must be. Yeah. Right. <laughs> He's such a be. such a big name in horror at the moment, and it's yeah. too, it's just it's too much of a likeness. I yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, I was quite into this. I think it's a decent setup, and it kind of got darker than I expected it to do, or at least got darker than I expected it to be faster than I expected it to get sure. there. Um, I think Owen is a likable protagonist. Arthur is kind of a vague protagonist and I'm kind of intrigued by Sam and Halloween. Well, Sam Hain and Halloween. They're largely based on names, but also based on the <laughs> look at the characters we get here. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, oh I mean, the first night where he kills his wife, you know, kills the nagging wife. I was just like, hmm, that's a trope in it. Um, and then I was quite pleased that, you know, the nagging wife, he heard the voice of a weird devil coming from her grave. That kind of pepped things up a little bit. Um, Owen's really nice, which, you know, not to spoil the ending, but damn that ending. Um, so yeah, he was, there are, there is a lot, there is a lot, but Mm. it is a theme park. And so you're going to have a lot of people in a well-designed theme park, which is well-designed. Like all the art on the theme park and the rides is actually really, really good. Mm. Um, but yeah, so many people also, is it pronounced Samhain or Samhain? But anyway, that's that's by the by because they started calling him Sam quickly enough. That yeah, that was yeah. my assumption. I'm, like, I'm sure yeah. there's going to be some. There's going to be some people who are like, "That's pronounced Sam." Anyway, can't really put it. Then you shorten it to Sam. That doesn't work at all, does it, guys? <laughs> um, but yeah, what a coincidence there in the park on Owen's first day. I really liked. I think one of my favourite bits was where he sort of calls Kate because Katie's Kingston. And he's like, oh, you're the king. He's like, just no, just no. Too early for nicknames. Too early for this. (laughs) Um, And he's just so enthusiastic about picking up rubbish, which is his job. And then he gets to clean up the vomit. And it's like, oh, yeah, typical first day. He's he's someone you can, he's very relatable, um, as opposed to the rich dicks um, of Sam and Halloween who are not relatable in the least. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, it, it's a weird. It's I find it weird. It gets weirder the long. It, I mean, the opening's weird, but then you sort of go from that weird opening with Arthur, and then you switch to Owen's. You know, just a basic Owen's first day, and it doesn't really feel particularly horrific, apart from you know you wouldn't want to clean up vomit. But it's very, you know, it's just a, you know, classic, here's the new guy, here's his new situation, you know, here's his new workplace. Yeah, it's a weird, creepy devil land. But there's nothing particularly weird. And then it sort of transitions towards the end into something really rather dark and weird. And I don't know how I feel about that, because I feel like there was a massive tonal shift. (laughs) Maybe it was there all along and I missed it. Um, But yeah, just odd. That's how I'm describing it, odd. Just odd. Um, I think I'm probably a little bit closer to Zach on this one. Um, uh, It's probably not my favourite book of the week, but uh, providing it's such a long issue, I actually kind of think it's paced quite well. And as you say, there's a lot of information to go through there, but it never really felt like a slog. And as I just sort of glance over the pages, there's quite a lot of text but I think the voices sound quite natural and it, it doesn't feel like you are being bombarded with information. I think it's delivered quite well. Um, I think the art is uh, decent all around. Um, I must admit, I'm not a huge fan of theme parks. So the kind of iconography that goes with that doesn't do anything in particular for me. But I think the art is solid throughout. Um, I like that the, the the bit with Arthur at the beginning is in black and white and then the present bit is in colour, I think is a nice shift, although uh, I'd have been happy if it remained in black and white. I think the art looks, looks great. Um, I agree with you, Angela. It's a bit tropey. I mean, it immediately reminded me of the first season of Fargo where basically oh, yeah. the, same, the same conversation mm. and event happens. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's, that's like Fargo. Um, it doesn't pull its punches with the horror, like uh, as you're intimating towards the end, there's some quite visceral uh, mm. depictions of, <laughs> of of violence uh, towards the end. It kind of comes out of nowhere, but of course I think it's set up that something truly demonic or amiss is going to be in place from the from the, the, the flashback. Yeah, definitely. Arthur you know, the the voice and the promise and the, the various things. So I certainly, I didn't think it was going to get that kind of violent, but I did expect more. I, I guess I thought it would be more spooky than mm. like horror. Yeah. Um, I actually prefer the kind of more horrifying thing. As I say, as horror not being my, my first love, I'm often, if I'm not scared by it or not at least creeped out by it, it doesn't do much for me. And at least this has that creepy factor. I also think it sets up a couple of interesting like little mysteries. I don't think, uh, I think Owen will be our protagonist going forward, despite events. Mm. Because there's a setup moment with his past on a raft with his sister. Yeah, it feels oh, like yeah. that would be pointless to include if this it's, is all the Owen we get. Just says that his parents died, it was an accident. One minute there's four of them on the raft, and the next there's two, and that's... All you get, and I, I think that's a really like compelling mystery as to what what has gone on there. Um, so yeah, overall, I thought this was actually pretty good. Um, I agree. I think um, what are they called Halloween and Sam, um, mm. they're kind of archetypal rich rich kids. Yeah, I, I think there's space mm. to develop that though. Yeah, I, I think this is just the setup, but like Sam is the 
uh, like adores his dad. Um, yeah. And mm. Halloween has just sort of gone off the rails a bit, but um, it's clearly very, very successful, <laughs> very popular mm-hmm. doing just that. There's good money in going off the rails. That's yeah. what I've always said. But yeah, overall, I, mean, I, th- since, I think it's just that. Um, <laughs> Um, I think it's I think it's kind of scary enough. Mm. I think um, the characters are interesting enough. Um, pretty pretty decent all round. Well, yeah, good. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I also wanted to say the lettering in the beginning. I do like the kind of subtle shift for everything's black and white except the demons. Well, demons, spirit, whatever talking through the wife shifts to the kind of wiggly balloons and the red mm-hmm. lettering. I think it was a good touch to start introducing colour before we get the big two-page spread of the theme park. Agreed, that's a good yeah. touch. Overall, though, I think lettering is pretty consistent. I think yeah. Yeah. It, isn't, it isn't all the biggest, most interesting things, but I think it's pretty solid. Um, Doesn't yeah. get away in the way of the art or anything like that. No, and I think in terms of art, it does stay good at doing kind of both small details and kind of portraying emotions really well. I think mm-hmm. there is some distress in, some believable distress with Arthur after he's, you know, accidentally killed his wife, intentionally. It's all a matter, it's kind of a. Mm. I mean, in, in court, I mean, America. Did, did he intend to kill her? I still is murder. It's not murder in the first degree. It's murder in the second. It's not manslaughter, and it's not self defence. It's 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 murder in the second degree. Yeah, yeah. You're swimming in the waters of murder. Um, (laughs) As you do. I guess guess one last thought. I really like the mascot design. Uh, Did you ever see our real monsters? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel I'm not giving that delivery the uh, the punch it requires. Ah, real monsters. Ah. just ran between 94 and 97 for our younger listeners uh, but they reminded me of those designs and uh, that that had a little nostalgic tickle in my brain did anyone else spend quite a while trying to figure out who was danny the evil who was old nick and who was the fun or was that just me i kind of read that as basically in order that they were presented and accepted that as fact to me yeah that, that was my <laughs> assumption um but then started to question it in my own mind but i'm pretty sure <laughs> What would I? Get? I can't explain why, but the fun is the scariest in in terms of just name alone. Yeah, what's don't know what, that? Don't know what it is, but hmm, mm. mm. But good overall, enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. I like, I like the chances of this getting interesting. I also yeah. think Josh Williamson has done some other cool horror comics. Um, I know I'm the only one. But I'm going to always say, anyone else read Ghosted? No. No. But one day, one of us will have read it and we can answer that question when it inevitably comes up again and say, well, yes, yes, we have. Sorry. Am I I, I really right or wrong that. Did Josh Williamson do Birthright? Yes. Right. I've read Birthright and I like Birthright. I feel like that's less horror, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, not, not less horror right. things. But I think that's kind of my probably my entry point with Josh Williams will be through his other... Yeah, fair. Um, 
flash. Yes, like the rebirth flash. I don't know about a lot, but definitely some. Right. <laughs> I don't know how, how long it ran. Yeah, I think I've heard um, that. Long. And Biter. Oh, yeah, I've never read Nailbiter, but long since been one of those, like, to-read comics. It's good. I would recommend. Cool. Um, I don't remember if I had a point, so I'm going to assume I didn't. Um, Angela, would you like to introduce our second book? Yes. Unless so anyone's got anything to... I don't have anything to add. I think I was all wrapped up. There we go. Fine. So, the second one is a bit of a weird one. So, it's Nightfall Double Feature Number One by Vault. So, it, it it's like an anthology because there's two books in one, sort of. It's a bit of a weird one. It is taking that old, you know, you go and see a double feature of a horror film, and except that you're not going to see the full feature in this instance, you're going to see the first issue of each feature. <laughs> doesn't make sense. Nonsense is my brand. Right, so... Just keep saying it. You know. <laughs> Just keep saying it, it'll catch on. So Nightfall double feature consists of two... Cemeterians, which is written by Daniel Krauss. The artist is Marn House. Uh, the colorist is Kurt Michael Russell, and the letterer is one of my favorites, Jim Campbell. So the letter is going to be good. We'll briefly talk about that and then briefly talk about the other and then talk about them together. So the Cemeterians, um, basically, there's this little girl, Violet, who's having an MRI scan, and the doctor spots something horrific on it and has to dissect her stuffed animals and finds out they're full of bones. Um, Meanwhile, um, an army type, I think she's army, she could be Air Force. Anyway, Colonel Mizrahi? I was going Mizrahi. Yeah, Mizrahi. There we go. Um, She rocks up um, with Alan Hogarth and introduces him to Ivy Bell. Now, Alan Hogarth is a scientist who was like trying to record near-death experiences and, you know, nearly killed people in the process. Um, and Ivy is a, basically a pastor, a reverend, a religious type. And she's putting them together because that's what you do when you're trying to investigate bones and stuff. Um, so, yeah, they discover that there's weird cases of bones cropping up all over the place um, in pianos, um, killing people via corsets. Um the like. They're in teddy bears. They're all over these bones. So they have to go and try and find um, what's going on. They end up um, at a town um, where mysteriously there are no bones in the bodies. Um, Larry the grave digger has a nice pile of bodies with no bones in them and shows them. Um, So the question is, is there a connection between these bodies with no bones and the bones that keep cropping up? And I'm not going to give anything away when I say yes. Yes, there is. Um, So... (laughs) That's that one. The second one um, is called Adensian, uh, and that is written by David Andre and Tim Daniel. The artist is Chris Sheehan. The colorist is Jason Wordy, and the letter is one of our favorites and world's design. Um, so this is different. Again, this is kind of a bit more. This is different horror. This isn't bones. Um, this is a family. So you have a family. Um, well, first of all, you have an opening, sort of a cold opening with a guy and um, a caravan, we would call it here. I assume they call it a trailer in America um, that, you know, seems to have evil hands in. Um, 
it's just how it is. Um, and we have that as an opening, and he drives off into the night, and then we switch to a family. So you've got Helen, who's the mother, and her daughters, Maya and Lily, um, and they're on a road trip in an RV with her husband-to-be, Richard, so he's the stepfather. Uh, Lily seems to get on with him. Maya seems to hate the whole situation, um, and it's it's not going well for her. And obviously, these two things are going to intersect at some point, and indeed they do, and they end up, um, basically, the mother ends up in the caravan with the arms, the evil arms. <laughs> um, more happens, but I'm trying to keep it brief. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of weird because they're two quite different stories. The art's quite different in both of them, to a certain extent. Um, but there's your double feature. Thoughts? I have many. Go for it. Are they about bones? Um, so the bones story, cemeterians, kind of immediately reminded me of evolution. Um, you know, David Duchovny. Yeah. Mm. Not that evolution, although I knew that was coming as soon as I said it out loud. That's uh, the only one I care about. <laughs> uh, evolution from Image that came out, I want to say in 2017 it started, that was kind of... All around the world, people were like rapidly evolving and getting weird. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of the same story unfolding from loads of different points of view and different people investigating it. It felt like a very similar kind of setup. Um, there's more characters in evolution, but this felt similar in the fact that it's like we have a religious person and we have a scientist investigating it, which in evolution we had a scientist and a nun but they were weren't together maybe they ended up together can't remember um but kind of a similar vibe of something weird's happening and we've gathered up the only people who can solve it this one scientist and this one reverend yeah. for reasons um i was expecting this to be sh- quite straight horror and then with it being nightfall which is vaults imprint but then the double feature thing kind of made sense that this felt a little bit more like sci-fi mystery than straight horror, I think. Yeah. Um, equally with Denizen, I think that went more straight horror, but felt more kind of B-movie-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think both of them are, are well-written, and I think the art is good. My main kind of complaint or question or whatever you want to call it was why why is this why is this a double feature yeah this kind of feels like nightfall as this is not the first series from the imprint we've had the autumnal the plots resonant i think was nightfall as well um i'm kind of not sure why this isn't the cemeterians and denizen and they're both their own things i don't really know why these are coming together no or, or even if no. this was an anthology series but each issue just told one i mean do we know how many these are going to run for are these i tried to find out earlier and didn't come back with an answer so i'm not <laughs> sure <laughs> so yeah i don't know maybe you you call it you know um Sorry, nearly dropped my stuff. Uh, you call it the sort of overarching Nightfall name, but yeah, maybe complete a story first. Um, having said that, in general, I agree with you. Like, I think um, they are well written. 
Uh, I think, again, the dialogue is quite believable amongst all of the characters in both sets of stories. Mm. Although it, it gets a little bit kind of sappy. I never think it gets saccharine in the uh, denizen when they're talking about like the... Oh, he's uh, the bestest man in the world and she's the bestest husband. woman. Yeah. And although it's dead sappy, I also think it has a sort of ring of believability to it as well. And yeah, there's, having, oh, yeah. there's a truth to that. Ha- having that kind of quite grim backstory, but coming out of it of being a, a sort of uh, overly enthusiastic person, I think is surprisingly uh, uh, bright for a, uh, as you say, something ostensibly horror. Of course, mm-hmm. that just means it's all going to be like horribly whipped away at some point. Um, I think the art in both books is good. I'd probably marginally prefer the Cemeterians. I really like that sort of very shady, very creepy uh, mm. look. And it, it has a, a huge range of colour in it, which I think keeps the art mm. like really interesting. That's true. And the, the whole bone thing is just, I don't know, it's kind of an interesting mystery. Like, where are these bones coming from? And why are, they, why are there loads of floppy bodies? And um, because they are just parts of a story, I think both of them are really going to hinge on how they how they manage the landing like how do they explain this and is that satisfying um and that essentially just sounds like the criticism of anything (laughs) (laughs) but they they both i think set up the first one sets up a a compelling mystery i think the setting the second one sets up a compelling group of characters Mm. and they both i think could be successful or could be boring (laughs) It's weird when you said about the sappy stuff. I, I mean, this is how my brain works. Apparently, when you said it was a bit sappy at the end, I was thinking of the cemeterians and the whole bit with the hand in the bed. Oh yeah, I thought that was um, that actually uh, I thought was quite a nice um, rug pull of a trope where it sort of liked it. Sort of suggests they were both like they've ended up in a single motel room in a bed together, and they start off not not disliking each other, but certainly coming from different ideological perspectives. And then there's this sort of will they, won't they moment where they're both in bed together and it kind of almost happens. And then it's a, it's some bones. It's more bones. <laughs> I love that. And not in the favorite bit of either sense, of them. Literal bones. But I thought that was quite a, quite a fun little sort of rug pull. It, it almost went down the, the path you expect. And then. Mm. Twisted yeah. It the does end. really work. Mm. I think their relationship was built up quite well. I think the back and forth when they kind of start arguing as soon as they meet before kind of realising that they're on the same page is really well done and does feel believable for people who believe completely opposing stuff. I think with their backgrounds as well, it sets up why they're both quite defensive over their positions. Yeah, definitely. Mm. The the reverend's been excommunicated and... um, Sorry, the scientists in disgrace for nearly killing people. But it was in the name of oh, science, damn it. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, so overall, actually, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Um, it's probably, as you say, I think the major criticism, or not criticism, but just Question. bewilderment as well. Yeah, why, mm. they, just why do they sort of exist together? It's 83 pages long, which... Admittedly, quite a big chunk of that in our PDF is variant covers because this oh. is Vault. So <laughs> many variant covers. I love you for You're your variant colours, Vault. One day Vault are going to put out 
something that is literally just, just varying covers. There's no book comic. Of varying covers. There's no just book. the varying covers. Just, just so look at all the artists like, we know. It might yeah. be like 55 pages long because 30 of them will be yes. covers. Um, but I enjoyed both stories and I think they both set up the potential to be good. Mm. Um, they just got to stick the landing, really, I think. And I, I would rather they were. I'd rather they were short. If this was done in two or three issues, two or three segments of this story, yeah. I, I think mm. that would be enough for me. Maybe I, four. But it's weird because I can kind of see Denizen being like a one trade kind of and done deal, but I could yeah. see Cemeterians going for as long as they want. Today mm. bones, tomorrow intestines. <laughs> really thought you were going to say tomorrow the world then, but. <laughs> No, I mean there's lots of but there's lots of ways you could go with that body part wise. Yeah, yeah. Start off with the skeletons, move on to the soft tissues. Yeah. <laughs> Just not happy with any of that, but thank you. <laughs> Dis- displeasing. I apologise. Um, yeah, I think I've uh, I think I've covered everything I wanted to on that one. Yeah, me too. I think. Ready to move on. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my my introductory pick is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Saturday Morning Adventures number one from IDW, written by Eric Burnham, arted by Tim Latty, 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 coloured by Sarah Meyer, uh, lettered by Sean Lee, and uh, assisted editorially by Nicholas Nino. Uh, the story in this issue is called VR in Deep Trouble, and is essentially there's a big storm out. The turtles need something to do. Donnie's made a VR machine. They all play it. They get struck by lightning. Shenanigans. <laughs> and that's how that story plays out. Um, it is sort of like a spiritual successor to the 90s cartoon. Um, not that there was you know, particularly much plot to carry on with, but it's mm. definitely got that like strong in that art style. Um, it's aimed at a, a younger audience. Boy, did it remind me that uh, that I'm 34. Um, it also led me to be pretty impressed by the sort of mainline TMNT series because they take some of this stuff, which is wildly goofy at times, and sort of make it work for the most part in a in a, in a fairly straightforward comic. Um, yes. Here. Here you're introduced to four brothers you may not know. Michelangelo, Donatello, <laughs> Raphael, and Leonardo. And uh, their rat dad, Splinter. Uh, it does, in fact, feature pretty much any character you could shake a stick at in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise. Uh, they all satisfyingly look like um, the original cartoon characters. I think it has that sort of aspect of... Um, playing on the idea of video games Mm. in a way which I think is sort of um, surface level in a a kind of childlike way that I don't know, I guess what I'm trying to say is is that uh, I feel I'm too old for this comic (laughs) despite it touching a lot of uh, nostalgic little positives um a lot of the sort of humor and stuff i think is just it's a kind of um chuckle to myself but 
yeah. it was fun. It was it was fun, and I think it's successful at what it's doing. I'm just not the audience anymore, and that makes me a little bit sad. See, I pretty much completely agree with that. I think in, in terms of art, Tim Latty does a great job of capturing like the aesthetic of the cartoon. I think Eric Burnham proves that he's just good at writing stuff because he's written mainstream turtles like the ongoing and written mm-hmm. this um and i think it shows that he's got a good understanding of how the turtles work in different contexts um, the voices are authentic yeah mm. um and it's interesting because i think the characters are really different between the ongoing series and between like the cartoon version but they they managed to have the same kind of base even if who they are as characters is definitely different between the two series um and i agree i think this was fun and kind of all ages but what got me questioning it is if we're not the target audience and we watch the animated series who is kids right now have got their own Mm. recent turtle series we're on there's been like what five in the last few years or something there's constantly new turtles and i feel like they probably have some comic equivalent probably maybe not idw and maybe not as but like the sonic comic used to exist i'm sure there mm-hmm. is some turtles comics available or turtles all ages graphic novels admittedly i haven't looked but i'm under the impression that there will be turtle stuff aimed at kids so i'm kind of questioning like while i think this is well intentioned if we're the people who were into the cartoon as kids and we're like yeah it's fun but i don't care and kids will probably have new turtles stuff to look at i feel like if you show this to a kid who watches the like current turtles animated series they're just gonna be like this is wrong take it away yeah <laughs> these aren't my this, turtles yeah this this was my question because it was very nostalgic saturday morning now, I remember in the days sitting down and watching it on a Saturday morning mm. and the style is and I had a very big nostalgia kit because I was like man this is taking me back 30 plus <clears throat> years to when I used to read <laughs> oh god I'm having a midlife crisis these days um back to when I used to read the original comics based on the Saturday morning cartoon I used to do that but I do think I'm like well, you know, it's like, do the children understand these references? Like, these are not their turtles. <laughs> are they going to be, is it going to be like the parent, like, hey, kids, read this. This is what I used to read when I was your age. Is it, is it, what, it, it does that even work? Because, I mean, I read stuff my parents read, but I was a weird kid. So I'm like, <laughs> an even weirder adult. <laughs> I know, right? But it's like, I don't think children do that anymore, do they? I don't know. But it is like, it's nostalgic for the older people, but it's not going to be nostalgic for the younger people because that's not nostalgia for them. They have their own new current thing. And Saturday morning cartoons aren't a thing anymore. I don't believe they're even a thing in America. Mm. I mean, they have them, but they have them on a, you know, it's like, it used to be on the main channels. Yeah. You know, now they just stream it on the things, the streaming services, of which there are many. You know, it used to be kids used to get up early on a Saturday morning so they could steal the television so they could watch the cartoons. Yeah. And that doesn't that doesn't happen now. They have it on their own little, I don't know what the little channels, you know, they have their own channels for kids now. You know, mm-hmm. they, they've thrown them, CITV, CBBS. Cartoons never stop. 
Whatever. Cartoon Network is a thing. But there isn't that there isn't that feeling of, you know, rushing and stealing the television because there's only one television in the house and you don't have tablets and you don't have any of that jazz. Children are gonna understand any of that. I also wonder whether children are gonna understand some of the references in that because like I capture the flag is a very American game. I don't know, I never played as a kid, but we've already established we're a child. Particularly um, in like video game and the video games like it's at the end where you have you have a video game cartridge you have yeah like a, that's true and it's pin against wall. will a child understand this and it's like yes donny you've done some video games but they're, they're very 80s 90s guy they're not really it's a super mario 3 reference so you're right this yeah. is aiming for our age yeah and as i say i still think it's successful at what it does hmm. i just i just sort of don't care very much and um I think that's not to say that that's a bad thing. And I think if somebody were to read this and find it, you know, funny and like the nostalgia is enough to keep them sort of entertained by it, all power to you. I don't think this is a bad comic by any, any stretch of the imagination. No, I no. just, yeah, I've just, I've tasted better turtles. Let's take that. <laughs> Slightly strange. That's gone very dark now. That's gone very dark. Yeah. <laughs> uh. If I hadn't seen such riches, I could live with being poor. James, sit down. <laughs> That's where I quote from. I'll take it. It's, yeah. it's not quoted enough. Um, um, one thing I am very pleased about is Mikey is the ultimate hero, and that is correct turtles. I do like, though, as well, how it was like Leonardo's like, we shouldn't be doing this, this is a bad idea, and then he just goes along with it anyway, and then he's proven right, and it's like, you're a terrible leader. Hey, <laughs> if everyone would just listen to Leo straight away. True. Nothing goes wrong. But he doesn't doesn't stand his ground, does he? No, he gets Nothing. baited by Raphael and Yeah. That's enough. That's enough. Goes south. <laughs> Some things never change. Mm, nostalgia. Indeed. But there it was. It was nice to revisit for um one issue but i think that's where i'll i'll jump off on that one yeah well, it's, I, I, it's basically one and done anyway it's like that's the story like you could you could go for the next story but equally that's yeah. done yeah i wonder there's a part of me that thinks is the brand power of turtles just enough that um and our kids just broadly out like i remember reading comics when i was a kid and you'd get a page full of characters I didn't care whether I knew their names or who they were. Like, if they looked cool, mm. I was like, right, that guy's got a red cape. That's cool. Look at, look at this guy's horns. That's rad. <laughs> and that was enough. So part of me wonders, is is the turtle brand just strong enough that kids will still enjoy this? this? I mean, there's definitely, you know, if you know a kid, I don't know any kids, but if I, did, if I knew a kid who was really into turtles, I guess that would be the way to find out. Like, are you into turtles enough, though? Enough, to, yeah. <laughs> I know kids, one. but they're not into turtles, so... It's time to know better kids. Mm. That sounds creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's put my uh, tasting better turtles into, into <laughs> stark perspective. It's one of those things, like, I, Ethan Page, who is a wrestler, has a vlog series where he literally just goes to toy stores in America and buys, like, 
old Power Rangers toys and shit like that. So it's entirely aimed at me. But he's constantly talking about like, yeah, now I'm buying all the Power Rangers stuff for my kids to play with. And so when they're old enough, and I, and everything he talks about that he's buying for his kids, I'm always like, you don't have any kids. They're like the same age, Ethan. And if I, if I had kids. And I was trying to force, like, no, Tommy's the best one because he's, like, he has a dragon. I, I feel like I couldn't convey Billy. to a child why that was cool when it's, like... When they know it's Billy. TV has come on 30 years. Yeah, Billy's pretty great. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, like, kids' TV and, like, animation I, has changed so much. And, uh, all right, we still... I, I assume there's still new Power Rangers. I don't even know. I, but, I think there absolutely are. Like, I think they still make Power Rangers TV series. So that somebody must be watching them. Ethan Page, oh, I guess. Yeah, yeah probably 30-somethings. Yeah. But every time I, I every time I, he talks about, like, getting his kids into the stuff he was into in the 90s, I do think... I feel yeah, but... How much is it just you forcing your kids to be into the same shit you were to justify you buying all the Power Rangers crap? Maybe it's just the um, the excuse he needs to convince his like, partner why you spent 10 grand on action <laughs> yeah. figures in the last month. It's like, I'm buying them because it's, it's an investment for our kids. We don't have any kids. <laughs> when we, what if we do? <laughs> I think that's true, though, across all of media, though, because it does feel like we're in a constant nostalgia hole. I mean, yeah. even if you look at new stuff like Stranger Things is very much, yeah, the horror in the 80s and that sort of thing. And it every, there's nothing new is what I'm saying. But I think even like long term franchises, like if you think about Marvel now, and this is going to make everybody feel old. But, you know, people who were, you know, you know, maybe in their early 20s when Iron Man came out, they could conceivably have, you know, teenage kids now who you know are into Avengers I know right scary isn't it um they could conceivably have kids now who are now old enough and experiencing that so you like second generation with a lot of these and it is because we're trying to hook the parents in so it does feel like this is just media generally is stuck in a nostalgia hole of like what your parents like your parents liked Marvel films when they were new so you will like them we will pump out more content and then the parents get pissed off because they're like, but everything should still be for me. And mm. it's not. Yep, I think there's tons of that. I, I do think like there is good new stuff does eke out. It's just it's covered in a cloud of, as you say, like raw nostalgia. And unfortunately, it means that some good stuff, Final Space, gets cancelled. Final mm. Space, bring back Final Space. Make Justice for Final oh. Space. <laughs> <laughs> That was so good. Oh, shame. I'm all sad. <sighs> but uh, yeah, no, I agree with you, Angela. I think like um, we are sort of obsessed with our childhood because the future is terrifying. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. Next yeah. book. <laughs> okay. So interestingly, this is set in the past, so there is yeah. no future here. Um, Hellboy in Love, number one. <laughs> so I, just got so I wasn't ready for it. There is no future. <laughs> future. Yeah. Nonsense is my brand. Um, hashtag. <sighs> hashtag there is no future. It right, anyway, back to it. So, Hellboy in Love number one from Dark Horse. What a shock. Um, so, the writer is Christopher Golden, who I think this is the same Christopher Golden who writes actual prose horror books. I didn't bother looking him up. I assume he is. 
the artist is Matt Smith, not the actor, I assume. Um, the chorist. I know, I'm making lots of assumptions on this creative. The colorist is Chris O'Halloran, who is an excellent colorist, and anyone who says otherwise is wrong. Uh, the letterer is Clem Robbins. Um, so it's Goblin Night Part One, this. There are only two parts, as far as I can fathom. Uh, but it's a very basic story of uh, Dr. Bransfield, who is sort of an archaeological historian type, um, is on a train with a suitcase. Um, when goblins attack to steal the suitcase, um, Hellboy steps in to, you know, fight them off um, because that's his job. And he has to try and retrieve the suitcase and the goblins get away with it because Hellboy's not very good at his job. And uh, he and Dr. Bransfield must pursue the goblins and recover the suitcase because inside is an artefact that relates to Dr. Bransfield's vast sprawling theory um, about, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, uh, Sauron Artia, the art of fire, all to do with witches and wizards and magic and hell. Um, so yeah, and that's basically the plot. There isn't much more to it than that. Um, Dr. Bransfield clearly finds Hellboy attractive, and I'm not judging her for that. Discuss. <laughs> so Hellboy's attractiveness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Um, I think uh, Christopher Golden does a pretty good Mignola impression in terms of like the the script and the writing. I think Hellboy portrays a more like sort of positive version of Hellboy than you tend to see in the Mignola books, but also it's happening kind of 20 years before they're set. So I think it's fair to assume that Hellboy wasn't always like fairly depressed. <laughs> um, so I'm cool with that. I think the art also does a pretty good Mignola impression. It doesn't have the same kind of very stylized shading, but the goblins' faces look very like convincingly uh, of the of the universe. As you said, Angela, I think the story's dead straightforward, but I think it serves it very well as just um, kind of a vehicle for these characters and what is ultimately, I mean, it's called Hellboy in Love, so it's obviously going to be a bit of a, a romance to it. I like that concept that there's this um, kind of society of witches who uh, shared knowledge and could communicate way before sort of sea travel and the idea of different cultures, uh, as they say in here, cross-pollinating is remotely a thing. I think that's quite a cool concept. Um, I like... What's she called again? Doctor Not, something. Doctor Bransfield. Doctor so I'm real, Bransfield. real bad with names. But yeah, I like Doctor Bransfield. She's cool and like capable, and um, is a good foil to Hellboy, who is kind of expecting to be in charge and to know. Well, I guess he does know a bit more about the goblins, but Doctor Bransfield just goes like headfirst into into the adventure. Um. So yeah, I, I like their relationship. I think the art is good. I think. The story is simple but entertaining and um, a bit like the Nightfall ones over sort of two issues. I think that's going to be a pretty satisfying little Hellboy um, sort of pulp story. I'm into it. I am less into this. I A lot of recent kind of Hellboy series that I've read, like the minis or 
It came up more when I was doing Pull or Pass, where we seem to read constant Hellboy spin-offs every month. And or BPRD. PRD. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Spin-offs. And every all just Mike Mignola verse spin-offs. Yeah. And every single first issue I read, I was like, okay. If I was way more into Hellboy, maybe I would need this. But sure. I, I like I've read Core Hellboy and some spin-offs and I, I like Hellboy, but I feel like at this point every new Hellboy thing I read, I'm like, sure, okay. But it, I, I'm very much not the target audience. Um which brings us on to the thing I'm obsessed about with this book. <laughs> what a <Is> twist. <laughs> so because this is nineteen seventy-nine that this is yeah. set and it is the past. Mm-hmm. When I saw Dr. Bransfield sat on a train with headphones on, my immediate thought was, how's she doing that then? Yeah, because plug in, plug we only have those ah, big which is the I things. can help with that. Oh. Go on. I was just going to make a glib joke. <laughs> you can make a glib joke, Will, because I may be wrong. But... I did watch an episode of a very old, uh, I can't remember, it was one procedural, it may have been Columbo, where there was a guy who was wearing, I mean, they were much bulkier than that, and it was set in about 1980, but there were headphones that were quite bulky like that. I think this is actually an error, but I'm just saying you could come up with a reason, because clearly clearly she wouldn't. Or maybe the magic. (laughs) My follow-up was... I assume that they're trying to claim she's listening to a Walkman. However, this is the 27th of June and the Walkman came out on the 1st of July. So how does she have a Walkman early? That's the real question. Clearly. That's the Hellboy I want. Tell me how she got that. (laughs) Tell me how this throwaway character got (laughs) a Walkman like four or five days before i mean she's already got it so i'm guessing it's at least five she's in she's she's one of the beta testers (laughs) she works for sony on the side yeah clearly you gotta fund yourself somehow haven't you (laughs) it's it's a niche question to ask but yeah my my main question here is where's she getting those headphones from i think that's Um, a very fair criticism mm. (laughs) now, now i hate this book now I feel like Angela <laughs> when she was complaining about sash windows in <laughs> Shadow Service. Was, yeah, Shadow yeah, Service Shadow had sash service. windows too soon. Mm. It did. They were like, it was nearly a century out, damn it. At least I'm only a few days. But um, other than that, I think, um, yeah, that's that's my only complaint. Yeah, the, the <laughs> Bad Walkman continuity. Mm. I think Matt Smith's art is great, um, which... I'm not going to lie, it feels like Folk Lords was just an audition to get the job drawing Hellboy. I don't know if he was already drawing yeah. bits of Hellboy first, but I feel like he was just drawing goblins. I'm like, hey, hey, I she could draw goblins it. jumping onto a train. <laughs> Look uh-huh. at my portfolio, yeah. Um, his art's great, though, and Chris O'Halloran's colouring is always good. Um I thought he was in a blood contract with Image to just draw horror comics, to colour horror comics for them and nothing else, but here we are. He's, um, he's, he's expanded his range. Yeah, he's got range. He's, publishers, at least. Yeah. 
This isn't the most horror-y of books, but I guess he's allowed to colour other stuff as well. He colours Time Before Time, which isn't it's, that... Isn't uh, always scary. Isn't always scary. Um, but yeah, that that's most of them. I think between what you guys have said and my obscure complaints, we've covered everything I had for this. Yeah, I I can uh, I haven't read as much of the like Hellboy Mignolaverse spin-offs, but I can see where you're coming from. Like I'm glad this is a one of two because I think two issues I'm into it. If this was one of twelve, yeah, I don't. That's probably yeah, absolutely. So I do appreciate if you've read tons of this stuff that yeah, this is maybe for the the purists. But I think as somebody who enjoyed the main Hellboy series, pretty much nothing else. Not that I didn't enjoy it, I just didn't read it. Um, this was like a nice step back into Hellboy world. I guess that's the thing. If you if you haven't tried loads of different spin-offs yeah. and you just dip back in, it's it feels probably a lot more rewarding. Yeah. Well, that's um, that's me as well because I've I've read the Hellboy, but I haven't tried all the spin-offs of the Hellboy. So this was quite a nice little. Yeah. I, admittedly, I haven't read. I haven't. I don't think I've read any full spin-off series. It was always just like we'll read the first issue of this Witchfinder oh. series. We'll read the first issue of something else. Some kind of is there a detective book he does? I can't even remember. Probably. But my question is, I mean, it's, you know, this is the October roundup. There were a lot of October. There was a lot of horror books because, you know, October. Hellboy in Love, why isn't it being released in February for Valentine's? It's it's a bloody good question. It, I would say because the trade will be out, but if it's only two issues, I don't know if that's even how this mm, is going to work. Who knows? It could be because it's still called Hellboy in Love number one, and then the story is called... True, it could be yeah. a, a long-spanning... Goblin Knight Part 1 of 2. So I think yeah. there might still be more issues in this series. They just will be little two or three-part yes. stories. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That could be true. So I think they, they could still work up to... Maybe that's where the big finale is to get to February and finally Hellboy's they in ki- love. That's when they kiss. <laughs> yeah, that's when they do a kiss. Um, so do we just need to consider our favourites? Yes. Overall, for somebody who constantly says I'm like not that into horror, um, I actually enjoyed this month. I think this was a pretty strong serving. Nothing as scary as Saturday morning adventures. I agree. No, <laughs> Saturday yeah. morning adventures was the most terrifying. I mean, when Krang showed up. Oh, yikes! Oh. Don't get me started on Bebop <laughs> and Rocksteady. There were a few in there that um, I didn't remember that. The Rat King was from the cartoon. Yeah, with yeah. that like weird mask bandage. He looks, he's thing. much tamer than the uh, than the mainline IDW series. Yeah, in, in the main IDW stuff, he is like hardcore terrifying, and this is kind of goofy. And for that reason, TMNT is my favourite book. No, that isn't true. <laughs> um, I'm. It's a bit of a, a bit of a funny one, but I think I'm going to give it to Nightfall Double Feature because I think. There's probably the stories that have the most potential for me to perhaps be something pretty good. I think they both set up, as I said earlier, one's a mystery, one's a family, but I'm interested by both. Um, So, yeah, probably just edges it for me this month. That's my number one. 
Shall, shall I go? <laughs> I mean, I'll whatever. Uh, well, Will stole my number one. Yes. <laughs> Damn it. It's very, um, very rare that we, we come in on the same. I page. know, isn't that weird? <laughs> I don't. I feel like you know, there's a crack in the wall right now. Um, yeah, so I'm just gonna go with you know, Hellboy in love because let's be honest, Hellboy's attractive. I mean, <laughs> no. I'm, I'm absolutely into that as, a, as an ideal. There you go. I'm going with that. It's not what I was expecting, <laughs> but here we are. Um, throw a curveball, <laughs> but no, Nightfall double feature is is would be. Um, yeah, recommend what Will recommends, but also Hellboy. You know, we all we all agreed last month on Bloodshot. You can agree with Will if you if you really want to be I, I that just, person. Every now and again, the row, stars align. Two, two months in a row, though. I just don't get decided on Jules Verne's Lighthouse, though. Because <laughs> I've um, because I've never read it. Best book. Good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my pick is going to be Dark Ride, which is probably not much of a surprise. Um, quite into Josh Williamson's stuff in general. I realised whilst reading this that I've read a lot of his books. Um, I don't know. When I first read this, just really enjoyed the kind of over-the-topness of it all. And I'm looking forward to see what the point is and what the explanation is going to be for well just everything i think it's <laughs> got so yeah. many questions and so few answers that i'm looking forward to see how he's going to validate all the stuff mm. maybe he won't that's fine too but <laughs> maybe he will maybe he will cool uh, yeah i think there that's yeah all, all good books, though, to be fair. I think we yeah. might not be the target audience for all of them, or I might not, at least. But, again, I think it's a pretty solid month. Yeah. Nothing yeah. that I could point out to say is, is actively bad. No. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, it's good stuff all around. And um, I'm sure there's other mm-hmm. good stuff I have read and can't conjure up now. But I know well, I've read more comics. Well done, um, well done. Yeah, I'm sure we've reviewed other stuff at biggerthancapes.com. Nice. And some of it will make sense. Some of it will make sense. <laughs> and some of it will be nonsensical ramblings. <laughs> um, so we've been Bigger Than Capes, collectively, Angela, Will, and Zach. Sorry, I wanted to call you Matt then, and I was looking at you. I thinking, know. Who the fuck I is could, this guy? I can see the M yeah. on your lips. Um, we'll be back I guess next week with another episode about something else Um, man we're sign offs like that (laughs) I keep signing off in really in increasingly weird ways Uh, Angela Will you got anything I don't know I mean I'm going to go back I don't know keep on trucking Um, (laughs) (laughs) that was one of my favourite that was one of my favorite yours that we did several weeks ago that I think is a perennial favorite. I know we've done keep on trucking and we did keep on keeping on. <laughs> keep on keeping on. Yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> keep smiling. It might never happen. <laughs> I think that's a good place to leave it. <laughs> yeah. It's slightly weird. Bigger the gate. Yeah.